Hello and welcome to the C21 podcast. My name's Jonathan Webdale. We hope you're safe and well wherever you may be. Today we hear from Grande Studios co-founder Andrew Lapierre, Ibri Director of Operations Mathieu Boucher and Mel's executive producer Richard Cornier on their efforts to make Montreal a destination for virtual production in the final part of our coverage from C21's Content Quebec On Demand. C21's Content Quebec On Demand virtual conference wrapped last week, shining a spotlight on the Canadian province and what it has to offer the international TV business, from content with global appeal and co-production partnerships through to local filming incentives, financial support, locations and facilities. Grande Studios co-founder Andrew Lapierre, Ebreed Director of Operations Mathieu Boucher and Mel's executive producer Richard Cornier spoke to Adam Benzine about their efforts to make Montreal a destination for virtual production. The trio of execs from Key Quebec Studios and VFX facilities discussed how they're combining expertise and new technology to meld live action and computer graphics, how this differs from green screen and what it means for budgets and content. I'm Adam Benzine, your host, and uh, I'm delighted to launch this session focused on virtual production. We have three amazing executives with us today, and they're going to be talking about how companies in Quebec are combining expertise and uh, new technology to make uh, Quebec, and specifically Montreal, a destination for virtual production. And for those of you unfamiliar with virtual production, that's going to be one of the first things we're going to dive into, what exactly we mean when we talk about uh, uh, virtual production. It's my pleasure to introduce the panelists. Uh, first off, we have... Uh, Andrew Lapierre. He is the Vice President for Grande Studios. Hi, Andrew. Hi. Uh, next, we have uh, Richard Cormier. He's the Executive Producer for Virtual Production at Mel's. Good morning. Hi. Good morning. And uh, we also have uh, Mathieu Boucher. He's the Director of Operations for Hybrid. Is that right? Hybrid? That's right. You said it yeah. right. Hello, I'm sure everyone. people call it hybrid, though, when they call you up, right? That's right. Exactly. So I'm going to turn it over to our speakers and just have them say a little bit about their company, just introduce themselves and what it is that they do. What they what they're focused on, and then we're really going to dive into our, our discussion about uh, uh, virtual production. So, Andrew, if you'd like to kick us off and give us the the, the overview of the work that you guys are doing at, at Grande Studios. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, at Grande, basically, uh, we've been in business for what, 25 years now, and uh, we offer services to production that comes to Montreal. We're looking at uh, from stage rental to camera rental to grip electric rental, and some some specific services that all production will need coming down to Montreal. And obviously the virtual, if we call it virtual, virtual type of shooting that Mandalorian had made very popular right now is something we've been diving in for the last year and a half because we we consider that it's the it's going to become one of the key elements uh, for people to, to, to shoot uh, different scenes and stuff like that. So we're very uh, intensively uh, working on this, this field right now. Okay, fantastic. And, and Richard, do you want to give us the overview for Mel's? Uh, I'm not sure if that's possible in, in a small period of time, but um, roughly uh, Mel's is part of uh, Quebec or a large uh, broadcaster and media company in the province of Quebec. Mel's is focused in uh, soundstage, so I think there's about 14 soundstage uh, in the Montreal area. We have post-production services, distribution, pretty much any services related to television and film we, we can offer. Um, I'm obviously focused in the virtual production 
Uh, so Mel's been at, uh, involved in virtual production for the last six, seven months. And uh, a little bit like my colleague, Andrew, uh, we, we have been already experiencing quite a few production. It's very, there's a lot of demand for virtual production. So we're, we're excited to talk about it today and uh, what the future of virtual production uh, or this new tool actually uh, entails for Montreal and uh, the market. Super. And Mathieu, for, for Ibrid? Yes. So uh, Ibrid is a small or medium-sized VFX studio. We've been in business for 30 years. Uh, we're located in uh, Montreal and in the Laurentians Mountain, like uh, 45 minutes mm -hmm. from Montreal. Um, we've been working on the virtual production aspect of the VFX world uh, since uh, about two years with the collaboration with uh, Lucasfilm on the series Mandalorian. So I can probably bring to this panel like the, the VFX studio side of things when we talk about virtual production. Okay, super, super. Well, listen, let's not assume straight away that anybody tuning in, any viewers tuning in necessarily understand completely what it is that we're talking about when we say virtual production. Uh, they may say, well, I don't, I don't get this. This is filming in front of a green screen. We've been doing filming in front of green screens for years. How is this any different? How is this an emerging sector? So I don't know, maybe Richard, would you like to... Have a go at, at really, you know, solidifying what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about virtual production here, and why this is such an exciting new space. Well, um, you know, I, we we actually tend to call it less and less virtual production. So for us, it's a volume, and it does have its virtual quality, uh, helping people to not go on set somewhere, so virtually be in a studio and, and shoot. It does replace, in some instances, uh, green screen. Uh, it does. It's a new tool for. Positing it, it's a it's an environment that allows to do things and maybe in a safer, faster way. Um, so I, I think the the technology is actually utilized in, in so many different sauces, and I think that's a that's what people are uh, slowly but surely uh, getting to know better. Um, one big impact is uh, you know it's a converging tool basically I think, and so the world of VFX, the pure digital VFX world, is is suddenly merging with the, the physical world and we we see uh, enthusiasm from the directors and the DPs and the art director being able to be more involved upstream in the making of a VFX shot and then having more more participation more control if they would probably say more control so virtual production is a big bucket I think it's a big basket it's a very powerful tool that's how we we see it we we use it to put video 3d scenes real-time game engine scenes 3d scenes uh, and uh, there's a, a bunch of peripheral tools as well uh, that were uh, new things that were not there not too long ago, such as photogrammetry, data collection for the VFX crew, and so on and so forth. So it's something probably my colleagues will elaborate, but virtual production is not what actually what even I thought was going to be uh, six months ago. It offers uh, a whole lot more than I thought for what I signed up uh, six, seven months ago, which is brilliant. Very, very fast moving space. Andrew, I wonder if you could build on that, talk a little bit about the, the technological possibilities that we that we that we're seeing. Yes, like, like Richard said, it, it is becoming uh, very interesting because, like all departments of production now, have to communicate together, uh, especially with VFX, which they used to not communicate together in the past. There's a whole new way of producing, which uh, is not understood by a lot of producer right now. They have to understand there is a, actually a new uh, a new workflow that needs to be established on a production that combines the production and the VFX or the post-production division. And this is still in a learning curve for everybody. How to achieve this? 
how to reverse this production cycle. But obviously working within the volume room with the LEDs, it, it, it combines uh, actors are able to see the action, be more involved into it. It limits production needs to travel and also helps production be in an environment that doesn't exist because it's actually fully created in VFX. So it's very interesting. And I think uh, what we need to put together is actually uh, some kind of tools to teach producers and director how to be able to understand it's not every shot that is feasible right now. Not maybe in a year or two, we'll be able to do more and more shots. Not everybody, there's limitations, obviously, but uh, every week's limitations are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. So it's a very interesting uh, new way of shooting. Yes, yes, fantastic. And Mathieu, I know when we were speaking before about this, you were, you were telling me that one of the key differences is how much work needs to be done at the beginning in the, in the planning stages for this, right? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's not just like, it's not just something that you use as a bandage on the end to fix some scenes that need fixing at the end of your movie shoot, right? Mm-hmm. This is a, a whole thing. It involves metadata, planning, shots, production design. So for us, it's a, it's a way to interact and, and work with the, the creative way earlier than we used to, to do. So basically before VFX Studio, you know, usually it gets involved way later in the game. But now since the uh, production needs those assets to be ready before shooting, we can get involved way earlier. So we get, we get, um, uh, Right from the production planning stage, we get the discussion on what will need to happen on a certain set. And since we, a lot of the time, we can get involved at the beginning and we will need to recuperate those assets at the end of the production when some shots will need to be enhanced or improved or go a little further, you know, or get around the limitation that virtual production has at this point. Uh, we can already think about how to build those assets so it, it, it's efficient all the way through. Um, and, and, you know, we're talking about um, getting a lot of huge, huge data sets into those, those uh, real-time environments. That was part of the challenges that uh, Lucasfilm um, involved us uh, uh, in, in The Mandalorian. It was, you know, photogrammetry is going gonna, is gonna to change a lot of the way that people are actually building sets for those mm-hmm. uh, 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 virtual production uh, what was shows photogrammetry photogrammetry so basically they're capturing whole data sets uh uh to recreate cg environment or virtual environment uh and and this this has been used in in other production but it's just that with the possibility of using those assets that are captured in the real life and Mm -hmm. use them on the on the on the on a set I think it's going to push that that technique way further. So basically, we can capture reality, build a, a real-time environment that can be used on a, on a virtual production set, and then those data can go all the way through to uh, post-production. So you're, we're still using the same data that was captured from uh, from the from reality, and then push 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 to the, to the end. So um, so just a, let's let's have a like, practical example of what that might look like. Let's say you don't have the budget to travel to Norway to the forest to capture the trees in the snow for a scene you want to do but you, you have you know you send one camera crew out there and they capture the, the the data captures the distance between the trees the unique color of the trees the color of the snow and then when that's put into
into the virtual production set, it recreates, you know, photorealistic elements of those things. It's not just flat. It has all of the unique yeah. data that you would get if you were there capturing it with cameras, right? Well, I, I won't react to all the little things you're, that you just said, but basically that's that's the way it would be. You know, we, you would uh, send a team to an actual location. For example, a desert that might you might want to represent a, a planet far, far in a galaxy far, far away. So you would send a, a crew to the desert. They would capture all the data that would need to recreate that set. Then we would capture, take the data that would have geometric, you know, geometry data, lighting, texture, so all that information. And then you can recreate virtually that that location. And then you can enhance it, add stuff, you know, add more trees, add more uh, buildings, and then uh, create that, that asset that can be used real time on set. And that's just one portion of virtual production. You know, we're talking about what. The They've done on, on uh, Mandalorian, but I think uh, Richard and, uh, and uh, sorry, I'm, I'm forgetting uh, our uh, Andrew. Mike, Andrew, I know I've, uh, you know that virtual production can be used in a way smaller scale, but for bigger, bigger scale project, I think that mm-hmm. that's one way of uh, proceeding, like using photogrammetry, creating uh, creating virtual sets, using them in uh, on virtual production when they shoot, and then push it to post production afterwards. Yes. Well, Andrew, Andrew, why don't you give us a, a sense of how those conversations are playing out? I mean, when you're talking with companies that are interested in, in you know, uh, using virtual production, is this happening at the budget stage when they're beginning to plan it out? Is it happening midway through shooting when they have things that need fixing? How, how, how are these kind of conversations playing out within the industry? Yeah, the, uh, right now, people are coming before, actually, which is very good because I think once a production gets a green light for a project, we're already too late in the process. So production has to think about this ahead of getting a green light. Once they get the green light, which in the regular production mode that we that exists for the last hundred years, well, obviously it's too late for thinking of production, uh, virtual production. Uh, you mentioned something very key here is like budget, right? I don't think there's a, I don't think it's a question of less expensive than going to a place or traveling. I don't think if a producer approaches us and he has the, oh, am I going to save money if I do this in a virtual production? I'm not looking at dollars right now. Maybe down the road in a few years, once you know the VFX world will have more environment that exists that you could go and pick and choose out of them uh, once you have pre-mapped locations you mean permanent permanent uh, a library a library exists. of virtual assets yeah already existing and also having a permanent stage with LED display already where there's a volume of uh, shooting days already uh, existing then cost will go down but as we speak now I don't think I would speak dollar so what we're looking with producers right now is really identify within their uh, within their shot lists what makes sense compared to actually shooting it either still on green screen or either you know going to that location i think for a tv series um, that will have many seasons creating in vfx or on real a world that will be reused over and over that makes sense and probably over the long run, over two or three seasons, the cost of building that and having the sets, all those things. And also, I had a producer approach me the other day where they have a specific scenes which shoots at the magic hour, okay? And magic hour is not long in the real world, but in the virtual world, it could last 24 hours, you know? Right. So those those are advantage that we could use for virtual production, which you don't have a limit of time and you end up shooting over five days because you got 
20 minutes of magic hours and you're not sure if you get sunny the next day and it might be cloudy instead. So within a virtual world, this is feasible. Yes, I'm thinking here of The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio, where the whole film was shot at the magic hour so they could film for like two hours every day only, yeah, you know. That would be perfect. <laughs> yeah, that kind of thing. Um, uh, uh, Richard, I'm going to bring you into the conversation here a little bit. I, I guess part of this is also, uh, apart from budgets and cost, there's a practical element at the moment when everything is shut down that has, that has led to this explosive interest in this with COVID, you can't just get on a plane and fly to Paris, fly to Bangladesh, fly to Thailand and mm -hmm. bring a 20-person crew, 50-person crew and start filming a huge epic as, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I, I, are you seeing that? Are you seeing that there's a practical reason for this boom as well? Well, I think that's why it's just, it was the kickstart or the jumpstart, this new tool kind of um, in a weird way and, and enjoyed, you know, this uh, stupid pandemia has actually... Uh, brought into light uh, virtual production. So yes, indeed, it is one of the many either factor or advantages. We just completed a, a commercial, actually, not too long ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, uh, just because they could not travel. It's, that's, it's, it's that simple. Uh, we're in Canada, um, and we do have snow. And uh, this commercial was taking place into a summer setting. And um, so it just, it was kind of a no-brainer, the right thing to do under the current circumstances so because of travel ban and, and security and so on and so forth so that that is definitely a plus and again uh, it's going to be anywhere between in the future the people again this put just a big spotlight on security availability logistics permits there's just now a bunch of reason uh, why people will consider this it just just shed a big light suddenly but uh, we we can see you know we had a short list of reason why to use this tool now we have a very long list you know of why you should actually consider this tool step so yes uh, very practical uh, and then very creative as well and this you know a question for all of you i hope you don't mind me coming from the simplistic simpleton point of view but i don't mind putting myself out there in place of other people i guess a, a lot of uh, uh questions that people might have is well does this really look real you know because we don't want to spend all this money and then it looks like bad green screen or you know early 1990s cgi you know to, to what extent can this technology and does this technology Obviously, we've seen in the, the Mandalorian, it's an incredible series, uh, but it's set in the Star Wars universe, you know, so there's <laughs> an understanding of what the Star Wars universe looks like. But if I'm doing a drama, if I'm doing a love story with two actors and I want it to be set in the Himalayas, is it going to feel like it looks like it's in the Himalayas? Is this, you know, how, how comfortable are you promising to producers that this is going to look and feel like the real thing? And then, Mathieu, you've got your hand up there. You know, I, I think it's just like any kind of new technology, you know, with the right project it will feel perfectly real. But cert, you know, I think we need to work with the limitation. You know, there's uh, scale limitation, some lights uh, limitation, meaning like the amount of light that the volume can produce. But it's all about uh, starting the discussion as early in the process as possible uh, because some project will really work perfectly well with that technology. But I don't think mm -hmm. we can say at this point in time that it will work for any case. I, I, if, I can, if I may tag on, on Matthew, uh, it does, you know, so a commercial that I cannot really talk about, but it's going to be broadcast soon, is actually was too very boring 
boring suburb environment. So the probably the most challenging thing in the world, a, a stupid house with a backyard. And that was for us a, kind of a good test because there was no tricks, no motion blur, nothing, just an actor in front and in the backyard, basically. Um, with what we touched on, uh, on earlier, which is photogrammetry and other, you know, like Unreal Game Engine 5 coming out soon and so on and so forth, computing power coming quicker and quicker, new compositing techniques. So for me, it's a it's a it's a certainty in my mind that we we will re- we are already at that level in the infancy of that level. And uh, if you want to put a in our horizon, uh, you could you could think probably between the next twelve to twenty months, uh, we will we will we will make leap and bounds in terms of uh, the the photo real aspect of this. But we're already touching it and tasting it in many in many ways. There's like my colleagues talked earlier. There is still maybe a little bit more limitation, but we we can see the finish line in terms of, or we can see the, the getting it better, getting better very quickly. Yes, and can I ask why the client chose to to do that as a virtual production rather than just go to a backyard and film it in the back of someone's house? Snow. Uh, <laughs> right. it they had wanted to be, snow, or there was snow. Well, there was snow, and they wanted no summer, snow. It's a yeah, it's a summer commercial, and right. they, we shot this in February, so they, they obviously, obviously. Yes, and Andrew, I know you were, you you want to dive in here on this. Yeah, one. it's just a. Quick thing, obviously, if a VFX house like Hybrid builds up amazing environmental assets and, and the technique that we have for tracking the camera and positioning everything is perfect. But if production hires a DP that is not good and a production designer that is not good, the shot would look horrible, obviously. Okay? All of this has to merge in together. A lot of communication between the DP, VFX, art department. For once, they have to talk a lot before the day of shooting because once you're there on that day, it's a little late to, and also limitations are sometimes a director will want that shot from this angle, but it looks more real from that angle. So there's like compromise that the director has to do to achieve the realistic. And all of those expertise are just starting to build up. You know, everybody's just learning the curve as we go, you know, oh, look, it's better like this. Let's take a note because next time we're in front of this situation, let's address it. And maybe in future, we'll be able to do every angle, every way of doing and the people have learned how to live in front of a volume room and everything. So it's a very team effort that has to be done to make it real. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Something that's low budget and is being made for a hundred bucks is going to low budget, whether it's virtual production, CGI, <laughs> filming, anything, right? And as you say, a bad DP is a, is a bad DP. Now, Richard, you t- uh, um, Matthew, I'll bring you back in. Yeah, you had a point you wanted to make there. I, just rapidly, you know, cer- certain aspect of a project and, and in certain projects, it's a huge proportion of the shot, like window comps, you know, cars shot, you know, virtual production is very effective right now. So it, it doesn't need to be a blanket that we use everywhere to see the benefit of virtual production. And you, you're talking about window comps, you know, my team, when I, I, we have a sequence of window comps, you know, even the artists don't want to do it, you know, so nobody wants to put effort in those boring. types of shots. Yeah, it's boring. So, so those boring shots. A window sorry. comp is, a window comp is. Let, let's say you have two characters in a car and the camera is inside and we're, you know, we're fir- filming a discussion and we just need to have a, add a background that's moving through the window. Past. Yes, exactly. So sometimes you just, you know, you you would you could do it retro, retro projection or you could shoot it actually, which is way, way complicated or you can comp it in, mo- in a lot of projects, even TV or, or feature, they would comp it. And, you know, I, I, I get big yawn from the team when, when we bring those sequences in mm-hmm. and, and virtual production is very efficient right now for this. Yes, it's bread, it's bread and butter work. You know. And Richard, yeah? Well, just uh, super quickly to uh, do a compliment what 
Matthew said is, uh, so we did a lot of car shoots because of volume. So it's like, it's cool. That's why I'm saying it's not just a real, real time game engine, but um, there is a true economic platform for this technology. So as an example, and I'll, I'll just stop after this is we were, we can, uh, I'll put up to nine, eight, nine, ten 10 pages of script a day doing car scene in the virtual wall. So it is very palatable for a producer, a film producer to say, well, how much and what can I do? And when you say, look, it's simple. It's a eight page a day if you want to be uh, cautious or a nine page a day of scripts a day. So they can easily translate this into a button. So yep. That's just what I want to tag on. Now, Richard, there was something you mentioned before, which I thought would be interesting to, to, to pull into the conversation here. Uh, you mentioned the Epic Games engine. And I'm interested if, if these conversations that you're having also include video games, because we are seeing now that the biggest video games, AAA titles, they're billion dollar, they're billion dollar affairs, right? You know, the Grand Theft Autos, the Red Dead Redemptions, they're huge mm. productions, budgets that far exceed, you know, average television series for cable. And they, they pull in huge amounts of money. And increasingly, the um, quality of, of, of video that we're seeing in, in characters, in scenes, in video games, is comparable to what we're seeing on, on TV series, right? There's an expectation increasingly that you if you're going to pay $80 for a PlayStation 5 game, you're going to have mm-hmm. something that's you know looks at that level. Are, are these conversations do you, that you're having, and is there potential that you think that you're seeing in addition to film and TV and streaming for the, the video? video game market as well? Uh, it's not something we're seeing yet, honestly, uh, just because of the interactive, you know, it, it, it does have to end up in the game at the end of the day. So maybe for a cinematic, I can see an opening for cinematics in the game world, but not really. It's not something that we have that we have seen yet. And I, I don't I don't see it in a short term, honestly. I, I do not. That's it, yeah. Well, I, I can see it from the other way around. So basically, all those video games uh, franchises are creating humongous assets Sets, you know, huge, uh, huge sets where TV shows or movies could take place. So maybe, and you know, hybrid is part of Ubisoft. Uh, right. We've been trying and toying with this for years. So I'm not saying that it's uh, it's going to come in 18 months, but you know, we're we're still, you know, if we need real time assets to shoot with, you know, there's a sector in the industry that creates like humongous <laughs> sets and that <laughs> that could be at some point ready for to shoot TV shows or TV series. So I think there's there's got to be content conversion. Mm-hmm or converging uh, from, from the content side. And that mm-hmm. might be more an area where it, there's going to be growth. Yes, because these games, often they're already hiring, you know, A-list talent to do the voice acting for these things. Yes. I seem to remember, I hope I'm not misremembering, but when Red Dead Redemption came out, the most recent one, they hired a company that went and scanned rocks and trees and things and imported that. Quick sale. Yeah, to, be, to become, to make the world look so realistic, you know, and they, they bought that in from a third-party company. And that sounds to me somewhat similar to the technology technology you've been talking about that allows you to bring in real world assets as a form of metadata that's then generated as virtual production. Andrew, I know you had your hand up just there. Just, uh, just uh, obviously we're all waiting for the hardware and the software to evolve and it's evolving on a monthly basis and we're all expecting Unreal 5 from what we've seen to be extremely more uh, realistic than uh, the, the current Unreal. So this is a limitation that we have right now and obviously Unreal 5, will it be able to uh, 
to run and to uh, give us a real-time render according to what we see right now. This is all questions we have. We haven't played with Unreal 5 yet. We're very excited and waiting to see. But the more we go in time where the hardware will be able to support more real-time environment, realistic, obviously this will uh, help tremendously to bring this to a more realistic environment. Yes. Uh, Richard, you, you want to dive in? Super fast. Uh, just uh, I was thinking of the gaming thing. So one thing we we, we see it have a strong presence and I've, in past lives I toyed with it is in the uh, XR world that is going to play a large role so and it does already play a large role in live events or immersive live events so XR live events the gaming industry is already actually pretty deep into it so we see this as, as being the case it was just in the context of a virtual wall slash production maybe not so much in terms of extended reality big time uh, they're all jumping both feet in and it's pretty successful. I just want to make that caveat to that conversation. Yes. Now, aside from Disney Plus, obviously with The Mandalorian, who else is leading the charge on this that you're seeing? I mean, Richard, you mentioned you did a commercial, but where is most of the work coming from currently? Is it from TV series? Is it from movies? Oh, I, th I think interests are all over the place. We all know that uh, Marvel is doing two features, my understanding right now, with this. Uh, in commercials are interests. We did a commercial for McDonald's, which was a car scene and was very easy because they needed to be in the snow and there was no snow outside. So we did on the Moonfall with Roland Emmerich, all the cockpit of the spaceship. They were going to do them green screen. And then after a couple of days, they were experimenting with the LED screen. We ended up doing like, what, close to 29 days of green, I mean, of, of LED panel in front of the cockpit of all the spaceships that they have. So productions are learning. Even Roland Emmerich, which is an expert in VFX, was still debating, am I going there? Am I not going there? Is it going to work? Is it going to work? And at the end, after a couple of days, okay, let's go. That was a, a chance because it's a space. It was a little easier than see the earth and the far. It's not that complicated to do, but it was realistic enough that Roland Emmerich accepted it. So, I mean, TV, I think TV series will be probably the tools that will probably want to use this because of costs and uh, of the, yeah, being able to utilize it over a season. I think it's more interesting for them. Yes. Mathieu, beyond the beyond the, the, the production stages that were done for Mandalorian, what, what, what do you guys have? Well, we we, um, we see it more and more in bits and pieces on the, on the sequences that we're asked to bid on. So basically, and it's, you know, I think Mandalorian is just the most complex case of what virtual production is. Uh, but like, you know, uh, the, the cockpit in, in Moonfall is basically a window comp in space. So, you know, we, we're seeing more and more like um, elements that were shot on stage with something that was projected in the in a, in a window. So, uh, and that's both, you know, feature feature films and and uh, and TV shows are or streaming projects are are um, are using it more and more. But you know, it and it doesn't mean to be across the board. It's like you see it here and there, and it's it, people are learning it, and uh, I think it's uh, becoming you know um, adapted in different ways by the crews. So, which which is also something you know when when all the creatives will think about it from the get go. I think it's gonna it's gonna move the, the you know it's gonna get going basically they're they all gonna see the benefit of it because it's faster nobody wants to put energy in post-production on stuff that can be done you know, like on uh, on a stage so um i think it's gonna be
be really across the board, like uh, TVs, commercial, and and uh, TV shows, commercials, and and movies are, are going to yes. adapt it or uh, adopt it. And just as there was a like a landmark with uh, what was that film, Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow? You know, it was the first Hollywood film. It was all shot and done with CGI. Do you think there'll be a point where there's a major motion picture where the the entire thing is done as a virtual production? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm sure somebody will want to do this. Uh, <laughs> but on, on a stage, you know, multiple locations, 20 different countries, but it's the entire thing, top to bottom. Yeah. Yes, why not? You know, I, I you know, we, we, we had 300 many years ago, you know, 100% on blue screen, so green screen. Yeah. So, um, sure, I, I think it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to be something we'll see in the future, especially on either a highly challenged uh, budget or someone who wants to really do a stylized exercise at that 300 and well, even if it's it. not a, even if it's not a, a completely limited budget let's say that you know I mean as you, you're, if you're saying you can get through eight pages a day eight pages of script a day you know I mean for a 90 minute movie that wants to be in 20 different countries you know cost for cost it might come out a little bit cheaper and certainly yeah. as we're living through COVID and yeah. dare I say but, whatever the next pandemic proves to be studios may need to look for a way where they do the big sort of, you know, uncharted Indiana Jones, James Bond style films that are mostly done, you know, just, in, as a production. Yeah, it just, I think sometimes it just defeats the purpose. So, you know, we we say, hey, what's the elephant in the room? Well, the, the elephant in the room are the feet. So uh, once you see somebody's feet, uh, you're you're like uh, suddenly building stuff and then putting stuff or hiding stuff and so on and so forth. So there's no magic to hiding uh, feet. Um, so I think it defeats the purpose. You know, if you can shoot, uh, you can rent the place built a set and, and and then for uh you know again for 200 bucks you can build a bedroom then build a bedroom you know and, and you're good to go um so yes but I, i'm not i'm not there i, I think some people will do and then gonna we're gonna have a wow factor and say wow this was an amazing movie like 1917 we saw recently with a, a, yes, a, a you know a print a, a vision of a, a visual vision you know but Otherwise, I think it's just a fantastic tool that needs to be used wisely. Uh, I think wisely means in the future a whole lot more than today, but I think it's tool set that we need to use wisely, like we use blue screen wisely. We use a bunch of tools currently wisely. Absolutely. Now, Andrew, dive in. Just a quick uh, example on, on Moonfall. You know, when I was talking with the production designer at one point while we were doing the lead panel for the spaceship and everything, and he's very interested in this technology, and he mentioned that just on Moonfall, if that would have been considered initially construction-wise and, and crew and carpenter and everything, he could have saved between three and five million dollars on the production. Would he have spent this in VFX creating the, the, the assets? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe at the end, there wouldn't be that many uh, saving. But for him, in this department, he was seeing building just part of a set and not having a green screen in the back. And just, he was like, he's very interested. And I know he's diving into that. But that was a a great example on a large feature how they are starting to think about this economy wise and also time if you have if you need to rent a stage for a month and a half to build a set or if you need to rent the stage for two weeks to build a fifth of the set then there's a big saving there and yeah. manpower and crew and stage and all of those things yeah and as that's i mean as that scales up if you tell a hollywood studio they can do a hundred million dollar feature for 70 million dollars suddenly every fourth one is free right so yeah mm-hmm. and again Again, uh, if it's uh, of interest, you know, the, the other, one of the big thing about 
virtual wall is definitely a direct impact on on the budget on compositing. So uh, that is something you can measure measure really rapidly. You're doing uh, 50 shots on a virtual wall, and if nothing changes, you still need to build the asset. You still need to do the 3D and do all your things. But if you're doing on a on a virtual wall, then you're skipping the compositing. So you can say 50 shots a day each. I just say 50 day of compositing. Yeah. So people are doing this math slowly when and when and if it does apply. But I think that's again a good thing about this new tool is you can measure pretty rapidly and easily what's the uh, economical impact on of that new tool. Yes. Now to, to wrap this up, I'm interested to know from you guys how much, obviously, of course, we're going to see California getting in on this. We're going to see lots of places getting in on this. How much can Quebec and how much can Montreal become known as a destination for this? Do you think you can establish it so that people say, well, you know, if you want to do virtual production, you've got to hire a Quebec firm. They're the best. They're the ones who get it done. They've got the experience. Is that is that something we can see? <laughs> go, go, Andrew, Andrew, go for it. And then uh, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll jump Listen, in after. Uh, uh, a lot of requests. I think Montreal, Quebec is extremely well positioned because the gaming world, the VFX world, we are leaders in this, okay? And uh, let's take let's take it. We are leader in this. And I mean, this is a key element. We need this expertise, which is here. We need to harvest it more to be able to work with them on the set and film production. But this transition, it's pretty easy. What's stopping this from going even faster are the resources. You need resources to be able to do this on set right now. Uh, I think a lot of interesting projects. I mean, Mel's has a great project right, right now, Transformer, which I think they're probably, you know, thinking about some shots that could be done with this. It's a perfect feature that could probably consider this type of, of project. And a lot of projects are approaching us from LA to come in Montreal. I think the number of places in the world that will be able shortly to offer this type of services is not that many. A lot of people are playing and toying with it, but to actually be able to offer, and that's why we're talking to all the VFX house in Montreal. We're talking to all of the resources that are interested in coming and testing their abilities and coming into our stage just to, to, to touch it. You know, it's one thing to do it in front of your computer, but to come and actually touch it and be, and be in the environment and understand the limitations, this is something we're offering to everybody. Yeah. Um, I'll jump in. I don't think we, it would be shameful that we were, we would not take the leadership role that we've, that we've been assuming for almost uh, 50 years in Montreal. Um, in terms of animation and VFX, we are one of the world-class center. Uh, in terms of innovation, we, we're, we, we're the town behind Soft Image and Autodesk and many major innovation. We're, we're deeply involved with AI and a bunch of technology that are actually uh, surrounding uh, that everything that comes that way. And um, in terms of shooting, uh, Montreal has a super long history. Uh, you know, Andrew's been in business forever, Mel's as well, and we've been shooting film uh, forever. And, and Montreal is well known to be a, a convergent city, you know, so where convergence has been, you know, we, we had the multimedia sector booming 30 years ago because uh, it's, it's part of the DNA. When there's convergence, people do actually converge nicely and focus on the end goal. So for me, it's sort of a natural step for Montreal. We've been in a leadership position uh, in all those areas for a long time. Now the, the news is this toy is, is pushing convergence uh, to a new level. And um, I think all participants are actually ready to play nice and just make a better a better experience and a better product coming out of Montreal. So I'm super, honestly, I'm very super confident about it. Yeah. So my colleagues took those two sexy things, right? Uh, 
why Montreal? Of course, the crew that we have is great. Uh, the know-how about video game will definitely help because you know we we need we need that know-how to uh, push the envelope on that that sector. But there's there's of course the economic incentive on the VFX side that you know I mm-hmm. think we're one of the the most aggressive uh, place on earth, and it's gonna uh, you know for any producer I would uh, suggest them if they don't know <laughs> the economic system or the incentive that we have here, it, it's uh, it's something to look in into. Plus our energy is green, so basically we'll need massive service to do real-time projection and you know we have uh, hydroelectricity here so I you know probably <laughs> a lot of people around the world don't know that and our energy it is green so less traveling people go on stage in Montreal they use servers that uh, use renewable energy I think we have uh, the perfect condition to make this uh, actually like the, the the leading the leading area for this type of productions Andrew Lapier Mathieu Boucher and Richard Cornier speaking with Adam Benzine as part of C21's Content Quebec On Demand, which wrapped online last week. Video versions of all the sessions are available on c21media.net if you're a pro subscriber, but that's it for all our coverage in the podcast. There'll be more from us next week, however, but in the meantime, stay safe and up to date with all the latest international TV industry news and views by following C21 online, on mobile and social media. My name's Jonathan Webdale. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 